0: This device isn't a spaceship, it's a time machine, it goes backwards, forwards, it takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel, it's called the carousel. hello and welcome to the carousel podcast today i have with me jl Mackey, an exciting author in our space his book is called the cowboy church it's a short novella about a bar a guy who owns a bar and i have many questions about it um in georgia i believe and um yeah it's kind of grizzled southern fiction kind of thing um And you are also a prominent Twitter poster and also working on a literary magazine called The Double Dealer, which I I think we can talk about. Um, But welcome
1: to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Is this your first
0: podcast?
1: It's my second.
0: Oh, I was looking for other appearances. I couldn't find any. Is it up yet, Mm -hmm. your other one?
1: Yeah, that was, I don't know, six months ago. Oh. Okay. Cool. With Richard Nichols, the Red Pill Fiction Factory.
0: Mm, Red Pill Fiction Factory. And was this before the book was out?
1: Yeah. Um, on that episode, we talked about my previous novella.
0: Oh. My first your, one. Yeah. What? What's your previous novella?
1: It's called The Fall. Oh, cool, cool.
0: Uh, similar, same characters, similar deal, or
1: uh, only similar in that it's also Southern Gothic, but it's considerably more violent, I would say.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So in um, the Cowboy Church where we have a protagonist who has terrible... You know, I kept rereading it trying to figure out exactly what was wrong with him. (laughs) But I can't... Does he just have terrible like arthritis? Like, what is his... He's got terrible pain all the time.
1: This is something that uh, my editor Brad Kelly, and I went back and forth on a lot about how explicit I should make it. um He has rheumatoid arthritis,
0: oh okay so i was I was not I was worried there was like one line in there that I missed that was like the key, no. but he's just got terrible arthritis, okay, yes, yeah, you have a great line in the beginning where it's like uh something in every joint, like there's like a knife. Uh, Well, yeah. yeah, a bowie knife in every in every joint. So yeah, this guy has this sort of mysterious element where he just has to pound oxy and alcohol all day. Uh, And he owns a bar. So what was... And and then um, he is faced with a outsider investor type of guy who's destroying his environment in, in various ways. And he has to decide whether to go after this guy or not. So what was the inspiration for this? What do you mean by Southern Gothic? Why don't you just give us kind of the whole uh, entree into how and why you started writing this story?
1: So um, Southern Gothic, it varies a little bit on who you ask, but I would more or less co-sign on the the definition Wikipedia is going to offer up, which is fiction set in the South, Uh, That concerns crime, poverty, degeneracy, really just depressing topics. It's generally rather rather visceral. So uh, beyond that, so I'm in eastern Alabama. And not far from where I live on a highway I travel down a lot is a place called the Cowboy Church. And I drove by this place. It's up on a hill. Uh, like, I don't know, almost a quarter mile from the highway. There's just a sign there next to the road. And I drove by for four years and I was like, I wonder what that place is. Is it literally just a church? If so, what makes it a cowboy church? I don't know. And every time I drove by it, I was like, I should look it up. And I never did. And it was just like, I don't know, uh, something about the title alone, like the name of the place, I found really compelling. And I never did look it up because ultimately I decided I wanted to keep it mysterious that was somehow more interesting to me. Um, so I don't know. And I was like, well, what if there, there's a story in here somewhere clearly. So what if could be a church that could be interesting in its own right. But what if it was just called that and it was something else? Well, what would be really compelling if it was a bar, a bar that called itself a church? That's, that's interesting. And it just kind of, it kind of spiraled from there.
0: Yeah, I mean a a cowboy church is a good name for a, a bar in general. Like a a, b- yes. a bar is a cowboy church kind of. Yes. Yeah. So it's amazing that that thing exists and you like don't know what it is. It's like it could be <laughs> it could be anything. Uh all right, so you're you're out in uh eastern Alabama. Is that so that's like Tuscaloosa over there or Tuscaloosa is on the other side?
1: Uh that's a little more northern than me. I'm not far from Montgomery.
0: Okay. Right. Right. You ever go down to Mobile? Mobile?
1: I'm there uh <laughs> <laughs> from time to time to visit people and also for work, yes.
0: Yeah, we had who was on here that lived in Mobile for a little while? We had I had some guest who was like lived in Mobile for some reason. Um yeah, I used to drive across there because I went to law school at Tulane. So I used to drive over to Destin, Florida, and would drive through Mobile a lot. I, I stayed in Tuscaloosa once. I'm I'm a little bit familiar with it over there. Interesting uh, place, Alabama. Do you like it?
1: Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I quite enjoy Alabama. I'm not originally from here. I'm a Florida boy, mm. um, but I was I was brought here due to my wife's uh, education, and then we've we've stuck around. So, and hopefully we'll continue to do so for a while, but that remains to be seen.
0: Okay, cool. So you're happy there.
1: Yes, very much so. Nice. It's my my people, my speed.
0: Ah, good, man. Yeah. I'm trying to get out of here, man. uh, This is a sunny Pasadena that I'm in right now, but um, all right. So uh, what's your genesis as a writer? I mean, how did you find, because you know, you and I are in a GC at least one uh, for writers in our scene. Um, so how did you find that? Uh, how did you find this little niche uh, as a writer? I, I think just so people understand, we're talking about... We ha- I had another guy on here, um, T.R. Hudson, who wrote um, uh, Automaton. He's like, you guys are probably very much in the same kind of
1: thing, right? Yeah, I can... Well, most of my my uh, my Twitter career has been in in very different circles from from literature or dissident right or what whatever you want to call it, and I'm frankly not sure who was like my who opened the door for me to this to this corner because it's been I don't know about a year now since I've been kind of floating around. Maybe it was Astral, I'm not sure. Maybe it was zero hp and reading one of his stories that cropped up somewhere i'm honestly not sure um yeah it's just kind of just kind of slowly became that way because i didn't really see it as like oh this is a pretty coherent group of people and you know i'd like to be a part of it it just kind of eased my way in i guess and just kind of inadvertently became friends with a lot of them tr especially
0: yeah, I loved Automaton. I, I loved Cowboy Church, too. Let me just say, by the way, I think that um, you have a talent, both of you actually have a talent of telling plain, simple stories in ways that are really exciting and that aren't trying to kind of, I think the thing that people from the outside would be surprised at, at both your your book and Automaton is they're not beating you over the head with anything at all you know, you're not really trying to like make some point, you know, it's not, it's not like you're bad guys, like a super liberal, (laughs) you know what I mean? Which would be lame. It's like, it's just good writing. And it's just that it seems like that's kind of what your goal is. You're not really trying to like make a statement. Is that, do you think that's right?
1: That's fair. That's definitely the intention. Um, I, I appreciate like what, like politically on the nose writing is trying to do. I enjoy some of it, dan baltic's book is no exception I, it made me laugh oh yeah times. dan baltic
0: of course is a big name in that little
1: pod too yeah but i'm just i'm not at all interested in writing that kind of stuff i just i don't find it interesting as particularly interesting as a reader so i'm i don't find it particularly interesting as a writer either i'm really only interested in in um making stuff compelling with archetypes and and um and just kind of the you know the capital T truth of things and and laying it out there I guess and, and letting it uh, do its own work if you will
0: archetypes what do you mean by that I mean I know what the word means but what do you mean in this context
1: I mean like in the in the context of the cowboy church people who uh, come into their own as as heroes of a sort they do they do challenging things that they know to be right but they do them because they're right, you know, at, at great personal peril. Um, just, just, just the the kind of the base stories that that always seem to find themselves in in great works of art.
0: Yeah. So, just kind of the archetyp- archetypical, That's a word storytelling. Yeah um so why this story what what was beyond uh, the cowboy church being the inspiration why this story and why these characters and maybe tell us a little more about like what happens in the book
1: um it really the vast majority there wasn't i didn't i i literally started writing it with with just the title (laughs) um for better or worse because i enjoyed it so much and it was it, it posed so many questions to me, like, well, if it's not a literal church, what is it? If it's a bar, what kind of person has a bar and calls it a church? Who goes to this kind of bar? And just like this this endless flow chart that just appears before me that I can, I can scarcely write down fast enough as it comes to me. And the, I mean, the story re- really and truly just grew out of that. I mean, I have, um, I grew up on a farm my parents farm commercially. So that's that's something that's relatively familiar to me. Living rurally is familiar to me. Really mostly trying to write what I know and that stuff just just kind of made itself appear and it felt very natural to to go with that and to write it.
0: Okay. So you have a chart. Do you have a literal chart or
1: do you you just mean like in your head you have a chart? No, literally. Yeah. What does that look like? Uh I don't have the notes for the cowboy church but it's really like a it's like a tree of questions and like there's a title and it's like you have all these options a b and c is it a church is it a bar is it some third other secret thing and then each of those have branches coming off and it's like well what's what ends up being the most compelling at the end of the day and that's the route that i go
0: interesting so you map it's, it all
1: out first in that case yes i did yeah yeah it's um I like to blame my education. I'm a math. I have a math degree, so I, I, when in doubt, I try to be very like formulaic about things. I don't know how well that translates to literature, but it's, it works for me, I guess.
0: It's it's uh, more similar to screenwriting, because everybody always says that about screenwriting. That screenwriting is basically like it's an equation. You know, you're mapping it all out beforehand and just kind of filling in the spots and everything like that. So Perfect, this yeah. this would make a great screenplay. I mean, it seems like it 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 seems like that, right? It seems like it's kind of like screenplay esque. It has scenes in it and everything.
1: Uh, I mean, I would tend to agree. I've never I've never written anything like that, but the idea does. I do find the idea compelling. So, I was I was I was definitely writing this long before Yellowstone was popular. I did it before <laughs> it was cool. <laughs>
0: yeah the meme the kevin costner meme where he's like saying saying very like left-wing things what was there was a great one the other day where it was like some fat woman and it was like if if you think that's too big you don't have the tools for the job (laughs) that was the funniest shit Uh, that was just i reckon um all right well so uh this main character um What's his name? What is it? Cause we don't even actually hear it. Oh, Ezra. Right. Uh, yeah. so Ezra, uh, Ezra has a bar. He has terrible arthritis and he's got kind of a, he's alienated from his family. He's living with a woman who is his barkeep. Um, and are they in a sexual relationship? It's kind of unclear.
1: No, they're not. Um, and I, again, I, my, uh, my knee-jerk reaction is always to keep things vague, either because I want to leave it to the reader to like maybe try and guess and, and puzzle their way through, or just because I don't know. I just it's, it's always my habit is to keep things vague and a little less than obvious. I would just re- I'm really bored by like very explicit writing. Yeah. So I I think frequently I overcorrect in the other direction. Um, I've also probably read too much McCarthy and that's probably permanently found its itself in my work. Um, but no, they're not, they're not romantic. Although he, he loves her in a, in a probably a more platonic sense or at the very least, or he's in denial about knowing the fact that she loves him romantically and he's not reciprocating and, and she's, you know, feels compelled to, to help him through things, to help him deal with things, to be his, you know, his crutch, his emotional support, and things like that, and it was like I wanted. The intention was to have it as kind of a, a building tension in the background until it it comes to a head, towards the end of the book. Um. So yeah, no, they're they're not, but I, she would have preferred that if he had stopped being a dipshit and an asshole. Right. So,
0: but why? Where did the idea to give him this crippling ar- arthritis come from?
1: Uh, because I, I found the idea of chronic pain kind of interesting. I have some myself, um, although not nearly to, to such an extreme degree. Um, and it, I just found mean, it really interesting. Pain or something? Is it like back? No, I'm disabled from the military.
0: Oh shit, man. Sorry to yeah. hear.
1: That's fine. It's not a big deal. It's rather minor. Okay, um, but thank you for your tax dollars. Cause it pays for my disability. <laughs> um,
0: the VA, but though. I, Isn't the VA a fucking disaster? Or is the VA good? I don't even know.
1: That That's a whole other rant unto itself. Okay. It's, it's yeah, atrocious. That's,
0: that's the next book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra burns down the local yeah. VA.
0: Clinic. <laughs> Ezra, Ezra goes after the VA. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but I found the the idea of chronic pain kind of interesting and in how it can just pervade your life to the, up to the point where it affects how you feel, how you how you treat other people your almost your worldview in a sense how it can just make you somehow a cynic yeah so
0: well how could it not right so it seems like so much of the chronic pain pain, though now is like not even legit that's why it's such an interesting actually character because he's slamming oxy all day right but it's like he really needs it but it's you know the 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 most sold drug in the world is arthritis medication because it's just like everybody has some kind of pain right like a, a, at any time and now we have this medicalization where every little thing you need to go in there so it's not like somebody who's legitimately injured it's like you know every woman in my family has some kind of chronic pain that they're getting, <laughs> you know, fibromyalgia, you know, it's like these like made up diseases that everybody's just medicated for all day, you know? So that provides kind of an interesting one. Well, that's actually what's really cool about this character is you don't know you're, you're, you're kind of just constantly left wondering, like, is this legit? Like, is he just a drug addict? You know, like kind of cause kind of part of you thinks like, Oh, maybe he's just a straight up drug addict and he's like kind of an unreliable, even though he's not narrating it but it's like kind of like unclear. Um, Okay. So then he's the good guy. And then he's got this kind of also very intriguingly kind of unsaid relationship that you're saying comes from McCarthy and McCarthy. Certainly does love his uh, vague explanations. Um, And then in comes this like bad guy who is definitely an archetype, right? Kind of like, capitalist, you know, uh, takeover type of dude. And uh, did that, was that bad guy inspired by anything in particular because he's trying to, you know, get all the farmland around him?
1: Uh, I can't say it's, it's from anything in particular. Again, it was just, it was just another compelling plot device that I thought of and I was like, well, it's nothing could be more different from a simple rancher or or a cow poke than some guy from a big city who thinks country people are morons. And so he seeks to take advantage of them.
0: Yeah. And he's got like a big henchman guy that's like does his bidding. Uh he's cool yes. because there's a certain like ruthlessness to him that makes you kind of like, oh, he's like really smart. Was that intentional?
1: It was yeah I didn't want to make him out to be an idiot. I I primarily wanted to make him out to underestimate um Ezra and kind of Southerners in general. Right. <clears throat> right. I really liked the part in the end
0: uh and spo- I, can we do spoilers or no?
1: Uh sure.
0: I really liked the part in the end where it was like the stuff he was poisoning was only like, he didn't poison all the land. He only poisoned it like for the people that he was trying to kill. <laughs> I thought that that was a good touch. I'd never seen that before, you know, like I, I think we have a lot of these, uh, you know, po- the the big corporation poisoning the land thing, but it's rare that it's like intentionally done. Uh, and that, the way that you described that was pretty cool in the end.
1: I definitely, I, it wasn't a. Uh, it was a twist I didn't think about till I was, more or less, done with it, um, and I got really excited because it seemed like a, uh, a really compelling dimension to add to it. The fact that he was, he was not only ruthless, but like particularly so, and uh, the fact that it, he somehow thought that that was a. Uh, yeah some kind of redeeming thing in the end that he might might have his life spared by, by revealing this.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Because right. Right. And it wasn't like fully that the land, all the land wasn't screwed. It was just, it was just his
1: land basically. All right. Well, it was just the, uh, the water supply. So the livestock and the family. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a great, as scene, opposed to the irrigation. Uh, so yeah.
0: The, yeah. Right. The whole thing. There's a great scene. Uh, how would you even go about doing that? Would that even be really possible in real life? Could you just poison an individual house's water supply or like an individual farm?
1: I mean, I didn't, I didn't research it too heavily. <laughs> I did look into I did look into, um, like, po- like particular poisons, like um, like heavy metal poisoning and, and how that manifests as far as, like, symptomology and stuff like that, which is what I gave them. I gave them heavy metal poisoning, although that's another thing I didn't say explicitly because I didn't feel like it particularly mattered. Um, but I don't see why you couldn't poison something beyond the well into just, like, the the house itself's plumbing or the the plumbing um like for the for the animals to troughs and things like that seemed it seemed relatively straightforward in my head but i didn't look into it too deeply i don't need to be put on another list
0: <laughs> are you already on a list i don't know <laughs> well you're not too i mean like uh I don't know. You're you don't strike me as somebody who's out there posting like ultra fed posting stuff. You know, you're more in the literature world. But you said you had other accounts. But are the is that other accounts or just all through JL Mackey that you've done that other posting?
1: Um, I don't. I mean, I used to have my personal account, my Docs account that I don't use anymore. Um, but the the NIM the uh, the nom de plume is primarily to uh. I guess kind of maintain some optionality. My wife um, works in a field that is, shall we say, not conducive to people who aren't leftist. Yeah. So the last thing I need is to say something that I find to be innocuous and somehow someone finds out and now it's now it's a problem. It's a problem for her. <laughs> so right. right. Yeah, so. yeah. That's
0: yeah, I have a few I've had a few guests that say that same thing. They're like, it's not me. But it's, uh, you know, my girlfriend or something that is going to is going to catch the the problem. So that's why I don't do it. Yeah, I get that, man. So uh, you based Fyodor, that's your handle. of. J- well, first of all, who is JL Mackey? I was trying to Google and I, it's like, I mean, I tried to search you on like uh, Apple podcast because I wanted to listen to other appearances, which I couldn't find. And it was like JL Mackey was like weird. I don't even know what was coming up, like nothing. So who is that? <laughs>
1: That is a character I pulled from my favorite book, which is called A Feast of Snakes by Harry Cruz. A Piece of Snakes? A Feast. A Feast of Snakes.
0: Tell tell Uh me about that.
1: That is a book also in the Southern Gothic tradition um, about... yeah. I I suspect after reading that or any of his other stuff, my my stuff... um, would seem very similar. But that book is about a man who is um, kind of at his wits end. He leads a very disappointing life. It's not at all what he hoped it would turn out to be. And he is like the orchestrator of the annual rattlesnake roundup in his town in rural Georgia. And he is dissatisfied with his marriage. All the younger girls are so much hotter. His job (laughs) sucks. He hates dealing with people. He has this extreme sense of resentment that comes from someplace he can't put a finger on and it, it kind of culminates at the end of the book with him uh spoiler alert uh with him uh walking into a crowd of people and just blasting them with a shotgun before falling really? into a pit, before falling into a pit full of rattlesnakes
0: the holy moly and that was from 76 this guy was way ahead yes. of the curve yes yeah, you know, my dad just sent me a Harry Cruz book about his childhood that he said is really good.
1: Have you read that? Childhood is very good. Yes, I read it. I own it. I own most of his work.
0: Who is this guy? It's like I'm suddenly hearing about him from all... What, why have I never
1: heard of this guy before? Well, <laughs> that's kind of a whole other rant, which kind of plays into the piece that I, I wrote a while ago that I sent you about the fact that Southern literature doesn't exist, but that's all. Maybe we can get into that later, but he was. Um, he grew up extremely poor, um, son of sharecroppers. He went to the Marine Corps, uh, got out, used his GI Bill to get an English degree, um, started writing, um, found a reasonable amount of success with that. He wrote for Playboy, and uh, he had a, he got a movie deal from one of his books. He was best friends with uh, Sean Penn, of all people, like the. The one that i'm rereading right now <laughs> the uh i'll show you this book is dedicated to my main most man sean penn that's scar lover so uh he found a good bit of success but he writes like just the grittiest southern fiction you can imagine like to the point where some of it is quite jarring and that's part of the reason why i enjoy it so much but i mean no one no one's reading that Not many people were reading it then, and certainly even fewer people are reading it now.
0: Wow. You said Sean Penn?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. How far Sean Penn has fallen? What happened to that guy? (laughs) Yes. He's just the absolute worst mouthpiece for the. What happens to these people? I don't get it. How do they. I just don't understand what happens to them. Um, all right so this piece that you sent me contemporary southern literature doesn't exist great title for a piece what what do you uh, mean by that
1: well my premise was basically that as the title suggests there isn't really southern literature per se it's just watered down milk toast stuff that happens to take place in the south and I and I think that's a problem that plagues most of modern literature that's been published in the last let's say 20 years but i just particularly find it bothersome uh, as far as southern writing goes because i'm a southerner and i write southern fiction so that's that's the what makes it stick in my crop particularly i guess but i think it's just been it's been commercialized like everything else and it's it's lost its way and it's not what it was or what it could be
0: yeah, but go on. Like, what what happened to it? What do you mean? Like, because all right. So obviously, the, for somebody like me, when I hear Southern literature, I of course think immediately Faulkner, and Faulkner's incredible. I've actually, really, the only Faulkner I've ever truly gotten through is um, this short story called "A Golden Land" about L.A. It's fucking fantastic. It's like the best thing about LA, like one of the best things ever written. But so I'm really not too deep in Faulkner. I certainly respect him, but I haven't like actually gone the stretch of him. Um. But who else are we talking about when we're talking about Southern literature? I mean, Harry Cruz, obviously, who I need to read, but who else are we talking to? And like, why are those people not around anymore?
1: Well, I would say the golden age was probably Faulkner Um Flannery O'Connor, and maybe Carson McCullers. Although oh, I would right, say, yeah. I would say Faulkner and O'Connor were were probably the king and queen of like the golden age of of Southern Gothic literature, or even just Southern literature in general, perhaps. Um, and then there have been some people, onesies and twosies, since then, like Harry Crews, like William Gay, like uh, Larry Brown. But those people are re- they're relatively unknown. They found a little success. Certainly not to the level that Faulkner did. Faulkner was famous while he was alive. No one knows or gives a shit who Larry Brown is, even though he writes some absolutely incredible stuff. Stuff that's probably five or ten times better than whatever piece of shit is on the New York Times list this week. You mean
0: you're not blown away by the masterpiece that is Where the Crawdads Sing?
1: Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm getting worked up just thinking about it. (laughs)
0: yeah which is like kind of the the female new york times version right it's like that's southern literature it's about me being a little girl down there right just total bullshit
1: I, i think it's just largely i mean it's there there's a part that i quoted in the beginning of that piece i think from a blog which which spurned my piece kind of which is that um lately the south serbs is really only some kind of like picturesque thing that that northerners or yankees very generally speaking i'm generalizing here f- find like quaint but otherwise uninteresting or like unworthy of a whole lot of thought like they think of plantation homes and oak trees and spanish moss you know lyrical plains and wildflowers etc and that's that's the the long and short of it It's the beginning and the end there's there's nothing else there the culture what culture you know it's it's a it's a bygone era it was cool a long time ago maybe it's lost most of its relevancy if not all of it well and
0: the what it really serves for now is to be like the foil like the culture is the foil right like the 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 bar is full of toxic men, and you know, like it's a it's a bad place that so you got to get out of. But you know, they're not so bad if you really get to know them. Like you know, that's kind of the the thing. You
1: know, it's like they're definitely
0: bad, but like they're just like us, kind of.
1: <laughs> it's it's definitely the whole region is definitely seen as as monolithic when it when it suits certain people in yeah. northern coastal cities. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, you know, I'm a Northerner who, who, uh, so you grew up in the South?
1: In Florida, yes. Florida.
0: So, like, I'm guessing like Panhandle or in Maine?
1: North Florida. Yeah. The rural part.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I grew up in Chicago, but I, you know, went to college on the East Coast and then I went to New Orleans for law school because I wanted to experience the South. And I had all these very naive ideas that you're talking about. You know, I thought, oh, I'm going to be hanging out on the porch and, <laughs> you know, like doing all this stuff. And and it's so many Northerners have this idealized view of the South that's just completely off. But I'll tell you, I had a hard time actually boiling down the South into anything that was really like explainable ever. You know, it's never like I like figured it out. And I was like, Oh, now I get it. It was more, the whole realization for me was more just that there was no, there was no like consistency. Like there was nothing there that I was just like, Oh, this is how it is. You know, like I, I just felt like I couldn't really say that about the
1: South in any way. Um, <clears throat> on a granular, granular level, I would tend to agree. There's a lot of, I mean, Texas couldn't be more different from New Orleans, couldn't be more different from Huntsville, Alabama, couldn't be more different from Charlotte, North Carolina. Those are all very, very different places. Those are as much different from each other as they are different from, yeah, the, I don't know, Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, or yeah. Indianapolis, or whatever else. But, I mean, the claim that I make in the piece is that, it like, perhaps at a 30,000-foot level, the the coherent – kind of unifying idea of being southern or um southern culture is the idea of the family being the most important thing in your life totally and, and that i every, think that, everything yeah. centers on it good
0: no no i love that and i think that that's probably why an outsider has such trouble accessing it because it's like you can't really <laughs> <laughs> you know like you can't like uh, you can't really access the heart of it unless you have a family in it and it's like that's very weird for for somebody who cam- comes from the background that i come from a city's devi- defined by its arts and culture and you know the, you're, you're the coffee and you know i'm such a nerd for that shit you know that's who i am i'm like i can't escape that self like when i go to a place i'm always like where's the exciting coffee shop you know <laughs> like that's i i just can't escape or you know where can i go get oysters and you know red wine or white wine um and the south really it's like you so expect what's so shocking about new orleans in particular is you think you're going to get down there, and you're gonna, people have the most ridiculous ideas of it. Like uh, I have a daughter, so I've been watching a lot of Disney movies, and uh, mm-hmm. I we watched Princess and the Frog, and it like Princess and the Frog is about New Orleans, like black people in New Orleans, and it ends with this like scene of like a riverboat going down the river, and like people playing jazz on both sides of the river, and it's like this, you know, it's the northern version of New Orleans but you actually get to New Orleans there's not a single bar on the entire river (laughs) there's not one there's no there's no like dancing like happening on the river like that's not there's like a couple dive bars like on the street on the other side of the levee where you can't even see the river like it's not you know the the only place you can go to see the river is on the fly which is you just bring your booze in a daiquiri cup and just chill with your family like there's no you know there's no music it's not like that you know And I think uh, for me, it was like running into a brick wall when I went down there. I was like, what? Like, this is so – I thought people – this was going to be a a totally different thing than it was, you know? Um, You know, once I was there for a long time, I kind of found those places. Like, you know, going to a second line was really cool. And, you know, I had a bar that became, like, my spot down in the Marini that was pretty, like, a backyard. It felt, like, pretty New Orleans-y. But, like, yeah, it was – I was really surprised when I got down there because it's not – Uh, it's not what you picture in your mind as a Northerner.
1: I could see that. I would also venture to say that I I like to sometimes say that New Orleans is, is almost like another country. Yeah. It just happens to exist within our borders. And that New Orleans is the capital of that other country. Um, But I think New Orleans in general kind of, kind of stands out as its own, rather coherent kind of culture that's apart from even just anywhere else along the bayou, along the Louisiana coast, like Natchitoches or somewhere else. Um, so it, it, I feel like it kind of stands alone. And, and because of that, it, it kind of defies, like defining it with respect to, I don't know, like other Southern cultural centers.
0: Have you been to any of those towns down there? Like what what is it? Like what, what did you use? Nagadoches? Nakadish, is that how you say yeah.
1: that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I had <laughs> I to look. I, always, I had to look it up really. because that's not what it looks like. Yeah. it looks like Natchitoches. Yeah, Nakadish. Nakadish. Yeah, but um, okay, yeah, I, tra- I I travel for work, and that's uh, mostly in relatively rural southern towns. So I see it all every week. I'm gone on average four days a week. So, oh wow from texas to north carolina sometimes even farther north i'm there all the time driving through it staying there
0: so what's it like down there in nagado Nagadosha
1: nagaditch <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean just within the context of louisiana Nagaditch is the longest continuously um, inhabited place in louisiana so it's the basically the oldest city, older than New Orleans. And it's, it's very much like New Orleans. It's very quaint. It has the similar architecture, similar kind of culture, but it's a lot more muted. It's a lot more calm, less drunk people in the street, but it's very beautiful. Very nice to stay there, eat there for the night. Great Cajun food like you would expect. But, I mean, it has its own things. And, of course, New Orleans does, too yeah yeah
0: um and then what's the difference once you start getting over to the alabama side because you you go through mississippi which is biloxi which is kind of like its own thing and then when you get into alabama how would you describe that difference because it goes louisiana mississippi this is the gulf coast alabama florida like what's the what's the difference between those as you go east
1: well if you're traveling along the coast there's a like a pretty good stretch of relatively large cities that the interstate and the highways go through, and then, like in the the last third of of Mississippi towards the Alabama line, you just it's just nothing for hours, nothing but fun land, maybe a one horse town or two, one stoplight, one four way stop, and you keep on rolling just for a hundred mi- hundreds of miles. Very quickly becomes rural and, and a whole lot of nothing but, but green pasture.
0: Right. But like what what's the difference in culture between Mississippi and Alabama? Is there one?
1: Between Mississippi and Alabama I wouldn't say is is particularly large. Especially if you were to compare like Louisiana to Mississippi or Louisiana to Alabama I would say that's a pretty large difference. It's a lot more it's a lot more concentrated in Louisiana. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very strong drink. That's nice. But as soon as you have a little too much of it, you know, you know, it.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay uh cool man well all right in in this uh last 15 minutes here what what do you what's going on with double dealing tell us the the future plans i mean this this um book is great i i feel like to me it should be like optioned for something you know that's how it feels to me the cowboy church it's like it seems perfectly set up to be uh some kind of movie or something i mean it's it's very picturesque and and well told and the language is very good uh how old prefer- is, is ezra
1: I never explicitly stated. I figured probably early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. Oh wow, way younger
0: than I thought. I was I was picturing him as like fifty-five, and his dad is like seventy-five. You know, or like really old.
1: I mean, that could work too.
0: Yeah. Okay, so wow, so he's a young guy who just really suffers from this terrible condition.
1: Yeah, he has a particularly severe, severe case of it. Yes. Um, but as far as the uh, – but thank you, by the way, for the compliment, although I don't think I'm going to get a movie deal. I don't, I don't uh, fit very many intersectional check boxes. Yeah, I know. So that's not going to happen. But as far as The Double Dealer goes, uh, The Double Dealer was a literary magazine published in New Orleans in the 1920s. And um, it didn't last very long, I think four or five years before it became defunct. Uh, but they published a lot of pretty no- notable people, um, which included Hemingway and Faulkner and some other people. And they stopped publishing. And I don't know if you, if he's a mutual of yours as well, Chris Sandbach. Yeah, I've that seen him. Is. I've seen him. I
0: think he is yes. a mutual.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, <laughs> we have we call it the sticks. We have a Southerner group chat that he's in on Telegram. And he just casually mentioned it one day, maybe it was like, I don't know, three or four months ago, maybe even longer than that. He's like, It'd be cool if we revived this old lit mag from New Orleans. And we were like, You're right, that is cool. And then we didn't talk about it for a week or a month or something. And then a couple people were like, No, what if we actually did do that? And so it's the ball the ball very, very slowly started to roll on that. And eventually we're like, Okay, we're gonna do this. So me and a handful of other people. In the group chat sandbatch included we're like okay let's do it what's this going to look like what what are we trying to achieve which to make a long story short it's really to just uh publish good writing that's not politically on the nose because my gripe and a lot of other people's gripe is stuff like passage press which is is great that it exists i'm glad it exists but it's all very politically on the nose and I'm just tired of reading that kind of stuff. And I suspect a lot of other people are as well. They just want to get back to the good writing. So we are um, just trying to uh, to platform good writing, regardless of who's writing it or where it's coming from. Um, in, a, in a way, that pays homage to the original as far as the, I don't know if you've Googled the cover, but it's very like kind of Art Deco, uh, kind, of, kind of board assist. Um, it's really interesting. I love the cover art. Um, then we have an in-house artist to do all this kind of stuff. And uh, Double Dealer Magazine. Be... Uh
0: huh. Well, I'm going to share my screen so people can see on YouTube.
1: Oops. That's it. Uh. Okay. Hold on. Wow, that is art Go. Yeah, it's very cool. I dig it a lot.
0: So are all your guys all Southern?
1: Which guys like, like all the guys in the double in dealer?
0: Your, yeah. And the double deal. Cause I know like uh, TR Hudson's Southern. I know like a few of those other guys are Southern.
1: Um. Well, the, the group chat that this was born from is not all Southerners. It's mostly Southerners. Uh, TR Hudson is not a Southerner um, by any stretch of the definition. Uh, but he is working on the double dealer as well, yes. So they uh wow the intention isn't to publish strictly southern writing. Um we'll we'll take good writing wherever it comes from, whoever it comes from. Um, we don't have a problem with that. And as of now, we're we are looking to do the first issue uh the 21st of June, the summer solstice. Very cool. So we're pretty excited about that. A lot of a lot of moving parts, um, very complicated because no one's in charge. So we have to agree on everything before we do it, but that's all right. Uh, a lot of decisions to be made. And the uh, the big thing I think, because we we really wanted to stand out from, from other lit mags, a lot of which in our sphere are online only, like Apocalypse Confidential, um, Terror House. There's a couple other ones. And we're like that's nice, but it would be cooler to have it have a physical copy, um, and it would be even cooler to actually pay the contributors to our magazine, because Terror House isn't paying people. As far as I know, it's using their stuff for free. Um, Expats not paying me for the piece that I'm gonna that I'm gonna have in their um, magazine next month. Um, so we wanted to make it people's make it worth people's while to submit and show that we're, you know, we have skin in the game effectively, that, that we want to essentially give people what they're, what they, what they deserve, which is, you know, you know, a small sum of money for their, for their work. So to show that, you know, one, we're serious about supporting other writers and two that we can, um, where was I going with that? I mean it just like I said, it just shows we have skin in the game. It's very easy to run an online only lit mag that doesn't charge readers, that doesn't pay writers. There's no I mean it's yeah, it makes it no much less in the consequential, game. right? Yeah, right. So right. if if we're paying writers, we have to be very serious about what we accept because people are gonna be paying a little bit more so that we can help help fund paying for these writers. And hopefully they'll come to expect better writing because we're able to draw better writers because we're offering things that other magazines aren't offering, which is a paycheck.
0: Yeah, but how are you? I mean, everybody wants to do this, but nobody can because there's just how are you going to do that? How are are you going to answer the money problem? This is what I'm constantly talking to everybody about. Everybody wants to do these things that are so pure, but then you need to plan for making money unless you have money of your own.
1: So <laughs> um, that's, that's definitely a big issue. I agree. Uh, the, first, the first issue will be work entirely from a double dealer staff. So we won't be paying ourselves for that. We will be charging for that issue. Um, so all of that money will go to paying people for subsequent issues. Um, the second issue will probably be invite only. So We have a handful of people whose writing we really, really like, and we want to see. And hopefully, by drawing some of those people, people will be more inclined to to buy it and read it. And uh, probably by the third issue, we'll have open submissions. Hopefully, at which point we'll be we'll be paying people. At least, you know, it's it's hard to say right now because, I mean, we're willing to bootstrap to a degree, right? But we can't do that forever. You know, we're not we're not uh, philanthropists at least not to, to that, any, any substantial degree like that, but at least pay people hundred, 200, 300 books for a really nice short story and get the, you know, get the momentum going as it were. But we're looking at finding some, some fundraisers. Uh, some people in the chat know some, some people who would be in a position to help, help fund the magazine, help it get off the ground. So that remains to be seen. That's that's why I'm saying the caveat is that would like to be the goal. Yeah, at at least something, maybe not three hundred dollars, something. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, it's just tough because, you know, everybody wants to do this. It's just the, the answer that everybody, you know, in my scene, I'm more of like a creative nonfiction writer. So what everybody wants in my world is to make vice again, make a magazine again. And, you know, the thing I just keep telling everybody is, yeah, everybody, everybody wants to do this. You know, it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just the, there has to be a money making enterprise involved in it, or else it's just going to go the same place that everything else goes. Right. You know, if there's no profit center, it's just going to be like, okay, we all do this for a few months, and then we realize, oh, I have no more time and money to do this anymore, and then it fizzles, just like all these other projects. I mean, and, and you're seeing a lot of the ones, at least in in my world, becoming nonprofits for that reason. You know, Mars Review became a nonprofit. I am seventeen seventy six nonprofit now, and they're doing that because they're like, well, we don't make money, so hopefully people will like give us donations, which to me just doesn't feel like a practical sustainable thing we can't just be running our you know we can't be running our cultural revolution on like non-profit dollars it's just never gonna i don't think that that's gonna work personally but um so yeah I, that's just you know there has to be some way to turn a profit on it or at least
1: keep the lights on right certainly i i agree that it's a, a really large impediment and it's like a kind of a catch 22 you can't get money because you can't get started and because you yeah. haven't started you can't get money which is which is why we're willing to to bootstrap to a pretty large degree i mean yeah i'm not richie rich but you know i do okay and same with other people in the chat so um i mean the hope is to just you know try it as as to the best that we can make a great product have great writers and hopefully it it gains you know even if it's just a little bit of steam at in the beginning, and you know, now certainly we're certainly not looking for overnight success. I don't want to be Man's World in a year; it's impossible. Probably be impossible to be Man's World in three years, five years. But yeah, starting yeah. is 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 the big thing for us. We 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 have to try. We have to diligently and enthusiastic, earnestly try to do it. Well, but what do you mean?
0: I mean, Man's World. Like, it's, I'm actually having raw egg on today <laughs> after you. <laughs> uh to, to talk about this but what do you mean like what do you mean be man's world it's not like man's world is like a you know they're not is that a hugely profitable enterprise i don't right is it i, I don't i don't think well, it is. that that's fair no within the context of
1: profitability i have no idea but yeah. i mean as i mean relatively speaking within our space i would i would say it's maybe the largest deal uh, if not the second largest after IM76, I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of buzz that surrounds it compared to, no offense, but expat.
0: Right. Which I don't even really understand what expat is. Expat's been around for a long time. Like, are they based or are they just like, we'll publish anything good? Like, who is, who is expat?
1: That's a great question.
0: You don't know. You don't know anything. You don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't, I
1: don't, don't, I'm not sure. And I don't want to speculate. Okay. All right. Fair. fair.
0: Yeah. I mean, I keep hearing about them. I mean, I'm well familiar with terror house. That's kind of a different thing because they're doing books more, you know, and just, they're just popping out, you know, Matt's just popping out, uh, Amazon books, you know, that's basically what those are. Um, whereas passage to me, passage is the one that seems the most like viable because, they actually have serious revenue from serious products and a pipeline and they're publishing their own shit. You know, they're not, they're not publishing stuff via Amazon, which is like, you know, it's fine, but I don't think you're ever going to really get anywhere doing that. Um, How did you publish by the way? Amazon. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's fine. So did I, I mean, like I have an old book. I also did it, you know, and I know like, that's what delicious tacos does. There's nothing wrong with it. But if we really want to like seize the means of this shit, we got to do it ourselves, probably at some level. Yeah,
1: um, it would seem to me that there's only there's only two roads you can you can bootstrap it or you can occupy the the old machine until you're really ready to break out of it. But right, yeah, I mean, yeah, one of one or the other is still better than nothing at all in my book.
0: Absolutely, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be critical here of anybody in the space. I just. I want there to be a to me it all has to it, hopefully there's such a demand for all of this stuff. obviously, the demand is massive. so when the demand is there, some somebody's gonna figure out how to how to f- fulfill that demand in a systematic way that actually makes everybody money. Um, it's just a matter of putting the pieces together and and of course, we're fighting against a pipeline and a sort of supply chain that wants nothing more than for us to fail so certainly that's the issue um all right man well uh anything else do you want to cover or say before we're out of here anybody you want to shout out or anything you want to say about your next project
1: besides double dealer i'm the only thing i have going on beyond double dealer is a piece that i'm working on for the next man's world oh cool and my uh my first full length my first novel um but that's that's going to be several years before that's sees the light of day so (laughs) what
0: is your writing i know you said um you like to map out but once you've mapped it out do you hack away at it a lot or do you um do you kind of just put it on the page and call it a day
1: uh it really depends my work schedule is chaotic so i have to write i have to force myself to write when i have the time um Because otherwise, when I feel like writing, I probably won't be able to just to the nature of my work. Um, So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of planning so that when it's time to write, I can I can really, really write rather than, you know, writing a paragraph and then stopping to think about it like that's that doesn't really work for me. I'd rather I'd rather have a pretty, pretty fleshed out skeleton so that after I sit down for two or three really concerted hours, I have. I have a lot to show for it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I think there's there's two types of writers. There's that type and then there's the vomit and then hack writer, which I that's the type of writer that I am. I just I can't visualize it. I can't visualize it out. I have to just let it come and then go back and cut the hedges, you know, like just like clean it all up and shape it into this like thing that actually makes sense. I can't see it first. I, I you know, I'm not a shape rotator that way. Whereas uh, you're, you're like a math guy. So that makes sense, but it's cool that you're a math guy who's super into lit. Is that like common? Are there, cause obviously like Dust is your, your boy. So like you're, you're doing uh deep lit. Like, is that, normal in your math amongst the people you studied math with no No. (laughs) (laughs) not a lot of no yeah um cool man all right well yeah i'll put links to everything excited about double dealer and um what's the piece about for man's world uh
1: uh the self-help industry
0: oh cool nice great like the books
1: like books all of it Mostly books, but the self-help as, as almost like a culture in itself.
0: Ooh, I love it. I had a phase where I really wanted to write a self-help book, like just because, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, because I wanted to write like a bait, like what would happen if I wrote like a super based self-help book? Like, what would that be? Um, but then I realized that was stupid. I mean, that's basically like gorilla mindset. It's like that. That's what that is. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, dude, thank you so much. It was great to meet you. And, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be, uh, sharing this ASAP.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, man. See ya.